control. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hi there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evenings on RTE Radio. Our show this week is brought to you by Aon Insurance and we'll be finding out a little bit later about what they do with data and analytics, particularly for insurance. If you want to find out more about them, they're at aon.com forward slash Ireland. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is show number 894. And joining me, as always, is our editor-in-chief at Tech Central Towers, Niall Kitson. How are you? Hey. So, so listen, uh, as we come into, you know, Black Friday and mm-hmm. all this manic selling uh, yep. with Amazon and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, from January... If you have a Visa card that was issued by a UK bank, you is in trouble. You is in trouble. How's that Brexit working out for you oh, guys? Oh, huh? man, it's just been... What a horrible year. What a horrible year for the UK. And it's just going to get well. I mean, it's going to be a fairly ropey start for 2022. Because if you happen to have a Visa card, now that is not a Visa debit or a MasterCard, that doesn't affect those for the moment. Mm-hmm. If you have a Visa credit card... From the 19th of January, Amazon will not be taking payments from that particular medium on its website. Okay, now what is the reason? The reason that they're giving is what they call interchange fees, right? And this is basically the percentage of the cost of the transaction that goes back to, you know, Mr. Visa, Mr. MasterCard, etc. Right, so every time you use a card, there's a percentage for uh, ostensibly on the basis of having to process this transaction goes back to the card provider. Mm. Right. And one would imagine that as technology gets better over time, that, you know, the cost of do, of operating this charge will go down and down and it'll make it more affordable for, to use credit cards compared with, you know, regular cash. But of course, that is not the case because we effectively now live in a cashless society. And what's actually happening is that in some cases, these intercharge fees are staying flat. Uh, and in other cases, they're actually going up. So in the case of Visa credit cards, obviously the interchange fees have gone too high for Amazon to consider Mm. them still sustainable as a payment method. So they are dropping them. So basically what Amazon are saying is, uh, you're too dear. We're dropping you. We're not taking payments from your customers. Yep, basically. Yeah. Wow, be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah. It's not going to affect us here in Ireland. Nope. If you're using an Irish Visa card you're fine. and you're shopping on, on Amazon.co.uk, you're fine. You're this, fine. This is all to do with the change in interchange fees across borders, which is ah. where the Brexit effect comes into. Seeing as we are one economic block in the EU, that's fine. Mm-hmm. However, because the UK will effectively be buying uh, over borders, if, if you happen to buy anything mm. uh, in the UK and you want to get something from Ireland or France or wherever, that's where the problem comes in. I had a bit of a thing. I was buying a, a Christmas present, all right? Mm-hmm. And I deliberately didn't buy it on Amazon, even though it was on .co.uk. I went, I'm not, I'm not going through that. Yeah. I just don't want to know, right? Sure. Uh, and I found a website. It was uh, rocketbook.eu. And I kind of went, okay, grand, I'll buy it there. Yay! Mm. And then I got an email confirming everything from rocketbook.co.uk. And I went, mm. oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. So I sent off an email and I said, uh, is this being shipped from the EU or is it being shipped from the UK? So mm. the UK, I don't want it anymore. Mm. If it's the EU, it's fine. Send it on. All yeah. right. So they sent a nice email going, don't worry, it's coming from the Netherlands. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was a week ago and it hasn't arrived. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I, I had a weird experience mm. with a, a, a package delivery and this is something that's really interesting mm. uh, because it happened to my wife as well. Uh, and it was a package that we had ordered, you know, maybe 30 days ago and we were tracking 
where it had come from because we, we were waiting on something that hadn't arrived and we were like, okay, this was only meant to be coming from effectively across the road. So like, what, what was the story? So we, we managed to log into OnPost and we saw the, the, um, the progress of the delivery and it was ping pong from one place to another within five miles of each location. Mm. It was like this place, it couldn't be delivered because the address was incomplete. So it got brought over here. Then it was sent back to here to try and deliver over here. But the address was incomplete. <laughs> it just turned into this negative feedback loop. But it's actually absolutely fascinating to see the train no. that happens when you order something know, to when it gets through your front Bananas. door. Listen, let's move on to passwords, our big story yeah. of the week, because we know your password. Oh, and we always have. Based on a, a new report from NordVPN, they released the top 200 passwords that are out there in the world. Uh, and it's good to see that nothing has changed uh, at all. Um, uh, although it did get me thinking about other forms of uh, authentication that you should be using anyway, even if you've got a good password, let alone a rubbish one. So you should always have two-factor authentication enabled. It's oh, not a big deal. Oh, I hate it. Oh, come on. No, it's... I do. I, every time, I, uh, Apple in particular... Mm. All right, so username goes in, mm. uh, and then password goes in, mm. and then it's like, we sent you a text. Yeah. Then I've got to go and find my phone, right? We are living in an age where I am trying to keep my phone away from me <laughs> because I'm on it too damn much, right? <laughs> then I have to go and find the phone and then bring it over, and then it brings up more distractions and all that kind of stuff. Ah. Anyway, so I don't like two-factor uh, authentication, but... Yes, it might. It, it all depends. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I'm logging into Apple, I mean, I'm not doing anything particularly wild there, all mm. right? Uh, if I'm logging into a bank, I understand that. Mm. You know, but like on the import, there, there are some websites that insist on two factor authentication and they're like knobby websites. Yeah. <laughs> You're not or, doing anything. You know, I'm a big fan of the Google Authenticator app, but mm. I know an awful lot of people aren't mm. just because it's something separate when you lose your phone or that particular app you're screwed you're you're done yeah yeah but i rem remember watching one of the more recent mission impossible films mm. and some of the biometric uh uh steps to go through one of them was gait analysis so you know if, you, if you've got a particular way of walking they map that on to your personal biometric record and go that's dusty he's mm. got he's got a limp I've got a special walk, do I? Yeah, exactly. Like John Cleese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, what was what was the number one password in the world? Probably something we'd all guess. Uh, okay, the top password, well, the top useless password that's still being used around the world. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh my God. Oh still my God. Still being used. God, how could number two be worse than that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Keeping it real, <laughs> going for those extra digits because it's because it's hard to crack. I mean, the all the all the top ten. I have the top ten just written out. Mm. They all take well. Actually, the top two hundred actually take less than one second to crack. Yeah. Um. But there there's a few interesting ones in there. Um. So of course, uh, number three, one, two, three, four, five, going for a shorter <laughs> version. And number four is QWERTY. Yeah. Number five, the old chestnut of password. Mm. I'm sure that's down from, you know, number two or something like that. Um, number six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Not quite as mm. good as eight, nine, but, you know. Uh, number seven, one, 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 one. Okay. Somebody had a busy day. Uh, number eight, one, two, three, one, two, three. Go on. Number nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Zero. <gasps> <laughs> Number 10, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Listen, I, I was looking further down the list. Number 18 uh, really kind of um, made me think because it's Aaron 431. 
There's a few names in there, and I'm but like, who that, are these people? Yeah, but why is it so common as a mm. useless password? Why Aaron 431? I have no idea. There's another one. There's a date, 2010, July 28th, 2010, mm. which is just written as numbers, all right? It's yeah. Like, why is that? Why have so that many people put that in? My favourite, though, is one that I used many, many times. It's at number 86. I won't say the entire password, but it begins with an F and it ends with a U. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number 131 adds a 1 onto the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. That's the, the most useless uh, passwords in Ireland for you. Final story this week. Uh, a little update for you on uh, space and what's going on mm. around our planet. Um, have you seen the movie with George Clooney and Sam? And a bullock, gravity. Yeah, I have indeed, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that happened for real on Monday. No way. Yeah, well, maybe Santa not all Bullock of it, fell it, all the way the, through the atmosphere. <laughs> the start of it happened. <laughs> uh, on Monday in the uh, International Space Station, um, basically what happened was Russia did an anti-satellite test, which involved them sending a rocket from Earth up mm. to blow up one of their own satellites, which they did. Mm. But then the debris started flowing all around Earth in mm. orbit and was heading for the ISS, of course, where we have uh, many astronauts mm. staying at the moment. And they had to sit in their transport shuttle ready to... Wow. Um, uh, Jetsons are not real-life movies happening in outer space. There you go. So I thought I'd huh. share that with you for uh, for this week. Listen, there we go. That is our news for this week. As always, Niall, thank you for keeping us bang up to date with what's going on. Remember, we keep you up to date, uh, up to date daily with all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters. You can grab them for free for yourself at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Data and analytics are an everyday part of product development these days, and there's plenty of Irish involvement in bringing new products and services to market in this exciting field. Carl Heary is VP of Technology, Data and Analytics Services, DevOps and RPA at Aon's Centre for Innovation and Analytics. He sat down and had a chat with Niall Kitson about a project from here in Ireland, Went Global. Everybody loves a local success story, Carl, and I think yours is particularly interesting given that you're already working for a large multinational in Aon. So the platform that you've been working on went from very much a, a local story, a Dublin-centric story to an international sort story. So tell us a little bit about your career to date. Yeah, thanks, Donald. Yeah, it's certainly been an interesting backstory there. Um, I report to the uh, enterprise CIO of Aon, and for him, I run Aon's global data and analytics services platform, actually, as well as our robotics process automation and DevOps platforms, too. So the, the... to give a sense of the current state, the DASP, as we call it, that analytics platform is an ecosystem of commercial off-the-shelf software and cloud-based platform as a services capabilities. And it's a place for data professionals to come and to build solutions end-to-end. And we're now at a point already, we've got over 70 teams from across the globe and 800 colleagues. These are practicing data, data professionals who come to our platform on a daily basis to build solutions for Aon, for our colleagues and indeed for our clients, all with security and privacy by design and by default. So that's sort of where we are already. But if I was to 
take a step back for a second. This all started out of out of Aon's Centers for Innovation Analytics. I joined about um, six years ago now. Um, we have 100 plus colleagues in Dublin, a similar amount in Singapore, and about 50 or so in Krakow. And the Innovation Centers um, is really ahead of its time in some respects. It's, it's headed up by Fergal in Dublin, Fergal Collins. He's actually uh, achieved a fellowship of the Analytics Institute earlier this year. And we've been a microcosm of a much larger organization in sort of insofar as we are the, a center of excellence for data and analytics. And for the last number of years, we've been shaping and reshaping how we how we organize ourselves for, for delivering analytics. And that's all about how we take data in from across the firm, how we build models on top and surface visualizations, which change customer behavior. And we sometimes we monetize those solutions. Sometimes we use them to augment the relationship our, our colleagues have with our clients. But it's all around driving impact and driving value. And so through all of this for the last number of years, we've been watching the emergence of roles and defining new roles within the organization, what it takes to do this well, and building sort of muscle memory, if you will, and also building capabilities within the platform to allow people to do this more effectively, to just get their job done faster, taking some of the engineering stuff out and baking it in and into the platform to make it that little bit easier. And we found, as I said, this has been really, in, really interesting to watch. And we got to a point about three years ago where we said, you know, we've got something here. There's a set of shared capabilities that could be used beyond the innovation centers in Dublin, in Singapore, and in Krakow. And through the support of our global CIO, we invested deeper in it. And we said, let's double down here. There's a shared capability we want to offer as a service to everyone in the firm. Because um, this sort of respects the fact that there's there's data expertise everywhere in Aon, right? It's not all done in the three centers. So respecting that fact, we productized our platform. We sort of put a bit of a pricing model around it. We just polished up the around the edges a little bit from a, a capabilities. And we and we identified the, the types of people in the organization who are going to get something out of it. So we work now with five different personas, we call it. So we work with data engineers, we work with data analysts, data scientists, data stewards, and then full stack developers building applications. And as we as we find these people, these kindred spirits in Aon, we help them get productive on our platform and help them then go on to build to build really interesting solutions. So it's been fascinating and really rewarding from my perspective to have that another outlet for our work, I guess. What started off as a modest thing in Dublin blew up into the enterprise data platform for Aon overall. That's an interesting point you raised there about personas, the sort of people that you think will be using the platform. Uh, and it's it's quite sort of a, an end user centric uh, approach. So when you're sitting down to look at the sort of people that would be interested in using the platform, did you find uh, an, an awful lot of overlap in terms of sort of the, the qualities or the perspective uh, of these people? Or have you noticed an increasing divergence between these fields uh, and these kind of skills that people are bringing to it? So you know, does a traditional IT end user think that much differently to a data scientist or perhaps to somebody that is coming into a role that perhaps didn't exist three or four years ago? It's a great question. Yeah, we, we do find people tend to gravitate towards certain things, right? They have maybe certain skills and they're sort of the go-to skills that they have and they find their this place in the value chain for data analytics is how I'd say it. So we typically we often find um, technology professionals who have a strong sense and understanding and a discipline for the software development lifecycle might gravitate more towards the uh, 
big data engineering type skills, right? They know how to code. They're code for they're thinking around code immediately, right? They don't need uh, low code or no code solutions. They want to get their hands dirty uh, with data using code and using code like practices. So they're already thinking down those lines. And we often find those gravitate towards more towards that data engineering persona and building the robust supply chains for data uh, that allow them to that allow others downstream to to pivot off that. Um, we often find data analysts who data analysts who maybe get a lot of get a kick out of visualizing data and really being on the call face of the business, supporting colleagues and clients. They get a lot out of just the visualization end of things, and so we're trying to sort of help them extend their skills and their remit by saying, "Okay, you're really good at dashboarding. Now, what can we do?" And the, let's take some of that logic out and let's start doing a bit more data wrangling over our data lake. And what more can you do with these tools in your hands? And so we grow them. We see those teams growing in those sorts of ways. So it's very much a collaborative effort, right? There's a value, there's a there's a value chain, and there's many actors in this value chain. Um, and there are definitely people. There's always a few unicorns, right, who work and wear all the hats. And that's fun. I love when we meet those people too. But it's been really fascinating to see those sort of networks grow around those personas. And we have hundreds of people in each of those in those um, um, communication spaces talking to each other and getting involved, and they're part of the value chain. So it's been quite interesting. Looking uh, at low and no code solutions uh, in evolving the platform, how are these becoming sort of normalized within the platform and how people are coming to get the most out of it? Is low and no code the future of getting people involved and maybe specifying additional things that the platform can do? Yeah, I, I'm certainly seeing that there's a lot of a, a sort of like a sedimentation process within data analytics where the non-differentiating things are sort of settling down the bottom and they're being, you know, being, being wrapped up in low code or no code solutions. And a good example of this would be how do you orchestrate a pipeline of data coming in? If I see a SQL database over there and I want to land it in my lake over here, I want to get involved in the code that, that the specifics of that data, like mapping a data set from a source to a, dark, a target and building a model out of it. But the steps to, to, to go from connecting to the source and passing it through a simple filter and preparing it for the final push to a lake, those are sort of the non-differentiating pieces. And we're starting to see that separation. And the low-code and no-code solutions are really playing a role in saying, let me handle the process orchestration for you. And you just drop in the logic because you're the subject matter expert in the data. So even for data engineers, which is historically quite a you know, code heavy, you know, part of the value chain, we're starting to see more low code, no code solutions play a role. And then the further up we go, more towards data analysts and visualizers, very much so. Um, obviously, dashboarding tools that are out there, uh, the big incumbent ones, we run them all. We run the largest visualization farms, and it just lets people get from you know idea to insight quickly. They don't need to be learning how to code, you know, donut charts or whatever. Uh, so we're certainly seeing that. In the middle, the data science space, around the, you know, the future around auto ML versus code versus approaches, is still that debate still rumbles on. And it's great to be in the middle of it and seeing where people's positions are, you know, in terms of should I, should my machine learning models be running automatically um, or should I need to code up those, those pipelines for data for machine learning as well. So it's quite interesting. And when you're dealing with these sort of new personas, seeing as it is a product that's still evolving and data science as a, as a field is moving so rapidly, um, how do uh, external collaborators come into the mix? Because I imagine there has to be this ongoing conversation uh, with clients who are looking for their own use cases, quite separate to what might necessarily be used internally. 
Yeah. Um, so we find ourselves working a lot with clients from a, from a collaboration perspective. And I think some of the solutions we've put out there initially had, had a very sort of a strong colleague orientation, right? We started building a lot of operational business intelligence or broker tools and things that maybe usually where a dashboard can suffice in helping a colleague or a broker make a certain decision. But then as we get more towards the clients, we start to see a lot more collaborative effort, as you say, in, in defining solutions that are going to you know help them make better decisions. And this is where user experience comes into play a lot more. So in the area, for example, of consultant-led client-facing analytics. This is where you're still guided by a, a consultant with Deleon, but yeah, the client is seeing directly the product itself. And maybe it's for in the area, for example, benchmark, helping them benchmark where they are relative to their peers. And then even going further than that, and actually saying, well, here's some client self-service tools where we allow a client in directly to navigate through our proprietary data, our proprietary models, but bring their own data in and have that process happen in real time so they get a diagnostic, perhaps, of what's going on relative to them, relative to their position in the, in the market as a whole. So creating these pathways through data and creating perspectives that are directly relevant to them is, is really take, takes us to the next level. And this is where we start to see some of that collaboration because we're trying to create these win-win situations where the client is strongly motivated to provide data so they can see a benchmark and wearing, working with them on some sort of consulting engagements. Uh, and obviously the flip side for us is we're, we're a better place to be able to handle that data, curate it, run it through and, and collect data on their behalf essentially and build them building interesting insights. So we see that collaboration happen with clients a lot on what is the the essence of the insight and analytic solution that's really going to help them, you know, drive a change within their business. So we've talked a little bit about the raw materials there of generating data lakes, bringing together data from wherever you might, you might find it. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about some of the outputs like visualizations uh, and developing dashboards. But what actual um, use cases out there have you uh, witnessed that were particularly interesting or perhaps even things that you encounter on sort of a day-to-day -day basis that would have driven development of the platform? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, one really interesting example that we've been involved in recently is the, the human capital solutions area of our business. And this is a, an advisory business that runs pay audits. So this is a, a very topical area, as you can imagine. There's a significant corporate responsibility we have in terms of understanding the differences in employees' pay. Maybe that sometimes cannot be explained internally. Um, and tackling the big issues like gender pay gap analysis, for example. Um, so Aon is highly engaged in, with clients on this. We have, we've done over 100 products of 100 products Sort of pay equity audits with clients. And these are really high touch engagements with the clients, but where we need to provide a technology platform that's, that's, that's quite self-service. So this is an interesting one because we see as we design solutions for this type of business, we see some patterns and some common user journeys that we want to support. And this helps bring, really informs where we want to go with the platform. So in these sorts of scenarios, we often want to take a file in from a client and that might be in some semi-structured format. Then that file needs to be validated and run through maybe a machine learning model or some algorithm. And that needs to then, that needs to be fired off maybe synchronously or asynchronously, depending on how, how, what the time is takes to process it. And then the results of that needs to be obviously posted in our data lake, but also served back up and say, right, your, your work, your analysis is done. Please check here. 
And then that might then need to go on and render some visualization for the end user that, that says, right, here's where you sit or here's your situation. And from there, the consultant can go on and plan a remediation strategy for the client. And, and as I said, my cut across this is to understand what those patterns are, what the user journey was, and how do, do we, again, again, that sedimentation process, how do we take the core, the essence of that solution and build something into the platform that supports user journeys just like that, and then rinse and repeat and apply them again and again. So it's nice to feel we are we're tackling some of the big topical issues like you know gender pay gap while also building layers of capability into a platform that will stand the test of time and be, and be, be reused again and again. Yeah. And if I may, like there's, there's other examples then in the areas of, of unstructured data. And another example would be document analytics, right? It's, so the insurance broking area is very traditionally, a very, quite a traditional model. Um, historically, not everything is digitized, including access to markets. So you can imagine insurance companies and companies like Aon pinging around PDF documents saying, here's the quote for your clients that we think is the right one for you. These are complex insurance products we're trying to sell or trying to facilitate. Uh, so in these scenarios, we have to get to the point where we're showing back to our clients, here's the alter- all the options for you. Here's the most meaningful one, the most relevant one we think is best for you. And indeed then help uh, turn that to turn those quotes into actual policies within systems so we've helped build a shared capability that unlocks all that value from this unstructured data so it's extracting entities of data presenting it up for validation linking it to the clients and the product and the reference data and then pushing it all into systems of record and again looking at this for the macro level there is as a shared capability opportunity here Right, and we've managed to create an environment where document managers can bring in the documents. We can train new models. We can hook them up to systems of record, so that the documents can flow from inboxes through to our platform, and then result in data keyed into systems of record to avoid all the double entry that you normally would see otherwise. Um, and when we went live, when we went live with this one just over a month ago, we started to see over 400 documents a day immediately come through that service. And actually, that one's getting getting presented at AWS reInvent later this month by our CIO. So again, really interesting opportunity to capitalize on to take something like unstructured data and build a framework for executing those sorts of initiatives. You know. So that's very much the the present of the uh, of the platform. Where do you see the future developments being? What, what sort of excites you? Yeah, for me, there's a, there's so much going on. Obviously, it's a, it's a constant whirlwind from a data perspective. As you look at the data published on the internet, the you know, the signal to noise ratio is only getting is only getting tougher and tougher, and it's getting worse. So, on the st- getting. Um, engineering uh, in place to support the mining information from that is always really interesting. So one area that, that we're really interested on is this whole area of as we look at these disparate data sources and novel data sources, when we do bring it, how when we do bring it in, how do we make a better attempt at connecting that data and making it real? Uh, so this for me turns into a discussion around that convergence around DevOps, MLOps, and data ops, and then towards areas like knowledge graphs too. So how do we just really build a strong industry around the ingestion of data from anywhere? 
um, be able to find the interesting information within that and then be able to connect it up so that actually we can do something truly real with it. Um, so taking lots of structured data, mixing with unstructured data and creating a graph, a knowledge view of the world from a risk perspective is, is something where we have our eyes on for certainly. And then as I hinted, hinted alluded to before, the engineering standards we put around data ops so we can do this at scale um, where we can monitor data drift and we can stay ahead of the curve from, a, from any data quality problems. And indeed, how we support our data scientists in building machine learning models around all of this data is really, really important and really an exciting in, in area from my perspective too. And in that ML ops area, you're, you're thinking about well, feature stores, how do I get to reuse certain features of models? Or how can I build uh, maybe some A-B testing saying, here's, a, here's the incumbent model, now I've built a challenger, let me see how this one um, performs relative to the first one. And th these are the types of things you, you obviously hear about in other, common, in other industries that are maybe less regulated. And we need, we're looking at our opportunities to, to, to apply this uh, where it's appropriate in the context of Aon. So it's quite interesting in that regard. And that was Carl Heary from Aon's Centre for Innovation and Analytics. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks as always for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.